Well, good morning again. Welcome to Trinity. We're so glad you're with us. Um, I already introduced myself. We are smack dab in the middle of a jaunt through the book of Genesis, and we are nearing the end of our fall consideration as we are still just after the no, I guess we left with the, the waters covering the earth, and so we get to have some resolution today. So we're going to be in Genesis chapter 8 and 9. It is printed for you in your bulletin. If you would, um, you could also turn there in your Bible. If you have one, that would be a great idea. We're going to read verse 1 and then verses 20 through 9, 17. But God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind blow over the earth, and the waters subsided. And there's a lot of description of that, and some doves, and some instructions to leave. And then jumping down to verse 20. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord, and took some of every clean animal, and some of every clean bird, and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever strike down every living creature as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every bird of the heavens, upon everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea. Into your hand they are delivered. Every moving thing that lives shall be for food. And as I gave you the green plants, I give you everything. But you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. And for your lifeblood, I will require a reckoning. From every beast, I will require it, and from man. From his fellow man, I will require a reckoning for the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. And you be fruitful and multiply, increase greatly on the earth and multiply in it. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, Behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you, and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, and every beast of the earth with you. As many came out of the ark, it is for every beast of the earth. I establish my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood. And never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, This is a sign of the covenant that I make between you, between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set my bow in the clouds, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Let me pray for us this morning. Great God in heaven, we thank you that you have called us together by your name. We are here by your appointment, and we rejoice in that reality, and we have this word by your appointment. We couldn't know you if you didn't tell yourself about us, and we rejoice that you have. 
And we pray now that your spirit who breathed these words onto the pages of scripture would be among us, that I would speak clearly and truly and boldly of the things here described and of Christ himself, our Savior, and that we would all treasure him by the power and working of your Holy Spirit. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, as we've been going through the book of Genesis, we've been covering a lot of ground in terms of time. We saw the old ages and the long lives. We're going to slow down significantly in the winter and spring when we get to the patriarchs' lives. But one of the things that we see in the book of Genesis is that God is doing a lot of different things in order. There's a story happening in the course of history. And yet, lifetimes exist within particular moments of that story. People live and die in particular scenes and chapters. And one of the lessons for us more broadly as we think about Genesis is that that's true of our entire world, that we find ourselves right now in the midst of God's story, a story that he began in Genesis chapter 1 and has continued and will eventually complete. And so as we think about the movements of God's history, we want to make sure that we understand where we are in God's story. What time is it? What's God up to? And and the passage we're looking at today, the flood in general and God's promises that come after the flood are fundamentally important for us understanding where we are today. Because this covenant that God made with all the earth It's known as the Noahic Covenant. I'm going to refer to it as the Noahic Covenant, but it's important to see in the text that it's it's with everything. And, And the scripture goes to great lengths to say that again and again and again, as you heard when I read it. This covenant is still in force. What God promises here is the reason that you and I are sitting here today, and it's important for us to understand what is going on in our time. And yet it also points to a greater and more important work of God that he is up to and has advanced since the time of Noah, and we'll talk about that too this morning. The things I want us to consider as we look at this text are threefold. First, what it is that God actually promises here. Second, why he promises those things. And then third, how we should respond to that reality. So hopefully fairly simple. What is it that God's promising? Why is he doing it? And how should we respond? Well, what's God promising here to to the earth in Noah's hearing. His son, he and his sons are here to listen to this. Well, we can see the core of what we call the Noahic covenant in verse 11 of chapter 9. God says, I will establish my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. He says something very similar in verse 15 of chapter 9. And the basic import is this. There was just a big flood, a worldwide flood. Everybody died but y'all. I'm not going to do that again. That's God's promise after the flood is over. And as he recreates the world in effect, and there's tons of connections that you can probably hear even between Genesis 1 and the initial creation, right? He is reestablishing the order of creation, both in the natural world and in the community of men. The seasons and the natural rhythms of nature are reestablished. Animals are put in their place. They're going to fear man now. And there's law and justice established. 
especially concerning murder. But one thing to notice as we look at this, and if you had time to look at Genesis 1 and Genesis 9 side by side, it's important to see that we are not back in the Garden of Eden, nor are we in the new heavens and new earth that we are looking for. This covenant and this promise and what God sets up is stable, but it's not final. And that's important for us to see as we consider this text. The restored order is not the same as Eden, and it's not what we're going for. The dominion over creation, over the animals, is described differently. Now it's based on fear. The animals are going to be afraid of us. And there's justice, yes, and that's important, but there's justice in the context of murder. This is a setup by God, not in a bad way. This is God setting up a system where sinners are going to be hanging out. He's creating stability for sinners. It's a provisional arrangement. And that provisional arrangement is made very clear in this little window we get into God's deliberations at the end of chapter 8, which is the first piece of our text. Noah emerges from the ark. He offers a sacrifice that's pleasing to God. And in response to that, God's going to make a promise not to destroy the world again with a flood. But why? Why is God saying he's not going to do it? And this is, this is fascinating and really important for us to look at. Look at verse 21 of chapter 8, okay? And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I really like that sacrifice, I won't do it again. Is that what he says? No, it's not what he says. The Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, and the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man... For the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever strike down every living creature as I have done. And do you catch God's reasoning? Why is he making this promise? Why is he saying I'm not going to repeat the flood again? Because the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. That's not what we expected. God is promising never again to destroy the world with a flood because we're sinners. And it's deep down. And it starts early. This calls us back to chapter 6, which we looked at last week. And if you have your Bible, you can turn there to verses 5 and 8. And similarly, we get a vision into God's deliberations, as it were. And we see in verse 5 of chapter 6, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart were only evil continually. Similar language there. And the Lord regretted that he had made the man on the earth, and it grieved him to the heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created. So the intention of man's heart is evil. That's the reason God sent the flood. And that's the reason God promises never to send the flood again. What's going on? Y'all see that? Hopefully that tension is, is clear. Sin is both the reason for the judgment of the flood and the reason for the Noahic covenant not to do it again. <clears throat> God has preserved Noah, and this is the key thing to see, he's preserved Noah through the flood, but he has not solved the problem of sin yet. That problem will return, and next week's passage it returns with a vengeance. There's an immediate corollary to the fall in Genesis 3 and the remainder of Genesis chapter 9. The problem is going to return, and here's the thing, here's the reason God has to make this promise, because if God doesn't change his approach, 
He's going to be destroying the world again and again and again and again. That's God's logic. The problem's deep down. It's not been fixed yet. If I take the same approach again, I am going to just keep destroying the world. And so, God promises not to. Why? That's a good question. We should ask that, okay? And that takes us to our second point. Why is God doing this? God promises to never again flood the world for the very same reason that God saved Noah in the ark. And that same reason takes us back to Genesis chapter 3, and some of this is going to seem repetitive because it is, because it's the same reason that God didn't wipe out humanity as soon as Adam and Eve sinned. Because God has something else he wants to do. Remember Genesis 3, verse 15, in the middle of cursing the serpent and the woman and the man for their sin, he says this, I will put enmity between you, the serpent, and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. And in this, we see the beginning of God's promise that he's going to defeat the serpent. That all that went wrong in the garden, that sin itself and the lies of the serpent will eventually be defeated. And he's going to do it through a son of Eve who's going to crush the head of the serpent. The line can't be cut off because from that line will come the one who will have victory. This is why God preserves Noah in the flood. And this is why he makes this promise not to flood the world again. Because God's got other stuff he wants to do. He's setting the stage for his work of redemption. That drama of whether or not the line will survive, whether or not the seed of the woman will come, is indeed the drama of the rest of Genesis and the rest of the Bible. And we'll see that as we go. Can the seed survive? Can the Messiah arise? And here, God's patient forbearance, this is the thing I want, if if nothing else you get today, this is what I want you to understand. God's patient forbearance in the Noahic covenant is not an end in itself, but it's part of his plan to decisively redeem his people and solve the problem of sin. So this promise is not the final promise, it's not the final solution to the problem, but it's necessary for God's redemptive work to continue. All right, let's take a break. That was a lot of information. How about an illustration? I, my, my college students, when I was doing RUF, made fun of me because I always, I, as a young parent, you can't help but think about parenting analogies towards God. And as, but one of my students pointed out that oftentimes that meant that in my illustrations I was God, which was, um, <laughs> which is not probably the thing to do. But so I'm going to I'm going to do two different illustrations here to, to to help us understand what's going on. The first one I'm definitely not like God, and the second one I'm going to give credit to my wife instead of me. Okay. So what is not happening here? And and we're going to use Halloween candy. All right. Anybody still have Halloween candy in the house? Yeah. Um, that's good. That's, that means you, you exercise some restraint and didn't eat it at all. So here's what God is not like, but what Chris is sometimes like, okay? I tell our kids, we're not going to have candy, or you can only have one piece of candy, 
or you can only have candy if y'all stop whining. One version of that, okay? They do not earn the candy. The whining continues. I change my mind on exactly the standard because eventually, okay, fine, you can have, you can have one piece of candy, right? Or two, right? I, it's not working, whatever system I set, any parent ever done this, right? It's not working, so I'm just going to, I'm going to step back and be like, okay, fine, just have the candy, will you please be quiet and all will be well. That's not what God's doing here. And it's important for us to see that. God is not lowering the bar by not destroying the world again with the flood. That's not the love of God and that's not the mercy of God. And we can confuse that sometimes. And we'll talk about that in a second. God doesn't simply say to us, you know what? I wanted a holy people. They're a handful. So I'll just take whatever I can get. Um, That's not the way God operates. That is the way I parent Sometimes, but not always. Okay, closer, not, not getting there, closer to what is going on here. Let's rewind to Halloween itself. We, we live on a big loopy street, right? And so you walk out and it's a circle and it's about two miles around, which means that halfway through, you are a mile away from your house. And the only way to get back to your house is to walk a mile back to your house, okay? Children are beginning to fall apart. They need sleep because they're tired. Kristen wisely thinks, you know what we ought to do for them? We ought to give them some candy so that they can make it back to the house so that they can go to sleep, right? That's wise parenting, right? Because that sugar will eventually be... What, what do our kids need when they're a mile away from the house at 7 o'clock at night on Halloween? They need to go to bed, right? That's, that's, that is... Effectively, their salvation. <laughs> but we got to get them home. And so we establish certain situations that are going to get us to that point. Okay? That's the analogy. It breaks down in lots of ways, but you got the idea. God is much closer to that than to me just giving in and being like, fine, just be quiet and eat some candy. That's important for us to see. Y'all see that? Okay. So the promises of God here in Genesis 8 and 9, are not for redemption itself, but for the conditions into which redemption will happen. They're getting us home to our real salvation. And we can see this in Romans chapter 3 really clearly. And if you have your Bible, I'd love for you to turn there. Romans 3, it's such a good... I was debating what to read, but I'm going to read 321 to 26 because... It's hard not to read it when it's in front of me. Okay, but the the key things are going to be in verses 25 and 26. So Romans 3, 21 to 26. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was, here, pay attention here, this was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Two things I want us to see there. 
Paul's describing the time between really Genesis 3, but let's go with Noah for a second, and Christ. And that's described as a time of divine forbearance in which he passed over sins. That's what God is doing in the Noahic covenant. He is being forbearing. He is demonstrating his forbearance so that he could send his son to die and rise and, and merit our salvation so that, I just said that again, but right, to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. This is a second theme of Genesis and the Bible itself. Is the seed going to survive? That's one question. Second big question, God is just, but he's also making promises of mercy. How is that going to work without God being like Chris and just being like, whatever, have the candy? How is that going to work? And the answer is that the seed is going to come. The answer that we see in the Noahic covenant actually is a picture of how that ultimately will come. It will come true because Jesus Christ will come and satisfy God's justice and make a way for his mercy. And God is forbearing until Christ comes and accomplishes that work. And he still is patient and forbearing until he has gathered his people to himself. There is a patience in God's story so that redemption can play out. And in the way God makes this promise to Noah and to the earth, we see a picture of how that ultimate promise is going to play out. This is not a promise for salvation, and yet it is gracious, and I want us to make sure we see that. How is God going to restrain from judging the world with a flood again? It's not because of Noah's sacrifice. It's because he said he would. He makes an unconditional promise to sinners, and it's upheld by God himself. That's how God restrains himself from judging the world. And that's how God ultimately saves us. The story of scripture, the third, third theme, I didn't plan to say this, but if you look at it, right, it is more and more and more God taking things into his own hands and making it happen until we get to the very end and Christ comes and saves us. We are the beneficiaries of promises made graciously to us that we do not deserve, promises secured ultimately by God himself and his word. This is our only hope in preservation, and it's also our only hope in redemption. And it's the reality that we have in Jesus. God can be just and merciful, and he can do that because he sent his son to die for you. And he rose for you, and you are united to him if you put your faith in him, and his reward can be yours. We go to heaven, we are rewarded not because you are good, brothers and sisters, but because he is good. That's it. That's the way God solves this problem. And he makes this promise to Noah, right, so that that story can play out. All right. Last point, which has four points, but it's going to be quick, I promise. How should we respond to these things? We, what do we do with the forbearance and patience of God? Because I don't want us just to totally fast forward to the gospel. We want to we're at the gospel, we're there. But what do we make of God's patience and forbearance that are so magnificently on display in these promises? As sinners, there are hazards to us 
in these things that I want to I speak into and then we'll be done. The hazards are these. Well, I'll summarize them in this way. In one way or another, they are forgetting that there is more to the story than God's forbearance here and now. We are tempted in various ways to think this is what we got. And let's, let's look at that. Four things I want to encourage you to do in light of God's forbearance. Repent, rest, imitate, and hope. These are going to be very quick. Repent, rest, imitate, and hope. First, God's forbearance exists for the opportunity that you have to repent from your sins and put your trust in Jesus Christ. And there are people in this room today, and I'm so glad you were here, who haven't done that. And you need to do that. You need to hear that. In Romans chapter 2, Paul says this, Do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? This time, this promise of God not to flood the world again, exists so that we might repent and put our faith in Jesus Christ. If you haven't done that, that is the urgent task of the moment. That is the reason that God has made this promise. That is the reason that this world exists and the reason the sun came up this morning and will go down tonight to give you that moment. Do not tarry. you want to get really intense, go look at 2 Peter chapter 3, which I was tempted to read all of, but it was a four-point, third point, so I didn't think I could do that. 2 Peter 3 specifically takes the flood in Noah and connects it to the final judgment. It says, look, there's not going to be another flood, but there is going to be fire. The world will be destroyed, and it will come like the days of Noah. So don't presume on the kindness of God. We can do that. Repent. Second, rest. If you are in Christ, hallelujah, rest in the surety that he has obtained for you. The same word that secures our existence now under the Noahic covenant secures your salvation in Jesus Christ. And this is what's, if we look in the Bible, the prophets do this a few times, and Jeremiah 33 is a really neat place where it happens Jeremiah 33, 20 to 21. Thus says the Lord, if you can break my covenant with the day and my covenant with the night so that day and night will not come at their appointed times, then also my covenant with David, my servant, may be broken. How sure and strong is God's covenant to his people in David that a seed will arise? It's as sure and strong as the sun rising this morning and setting tonight. If you want to doubt, if you are in Christ, if you want to doubt that his word is sufficient for you, you've got to doubt that the sun is going to come up in the morning. But that's upheld by the word of God, and so too are you. And brothers and sisters, you can take comfort in that reality. The word of God is on display powerfully in the Noahic Covenant, and it's on display powerfully in the gospel of Jesus Christ, and it is at work in you, and you, if you have put your faith in Jesus, are secure. When you see the sunrise, know that it is there by the same word that secures your, your rising from the dead. That was going to be cool, but it didn't, it didn't come out right. That's good. Okay, repent, rest. Third, imitate. 
imitate God in his forbearance. We see the forbearance of God on display so that we might walk in that same forbearance. There is a goodness and mercy to bearing with people in their sin, to not smacking them down right when they deserve it. It's a good thing. It's a godly thing. We're called to it. Perfect justice is coming, but it's not here yet. In the meantime, we're called to live with the forbearance and patience that God displays in this covenant. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, Paul says in Romans 12. Leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not overcome, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. The mercy of God, he calls us to follow in it. It's a beautiful life to live in this in-between time. And yet the final thing to say is that we are called to hope in this. The Noahic covenant preserves us, but it preserves us for something else. And there's a question that's going to rumble around your heart from time to time, and maybe rumbling around your heart this morning. And it goes something like this. Is this as good as it gets? That can be asked in joy. Is this as good as it gets? It can be asked in despair. Is this it? And we see in the broad swath of Scripture and in the purpose itself of the Noahic covenant that the answer is decisively no. This is not it. This is not as good as it gets. The sin that is in this world, that is in your heart, is an enemy that God intends to destroy. And he will, brothers and sisters. And so our hope is in that. Our hope is not here. Don't get too comfortable here and now. And yet, enjoy the redemption that is breaking in even now. The beauty of this place, the beauty of us gathered together in worship and hopefully loving one another, is the kingdom of God breaking into the present time in the life of the church. The scaffolding is up, so to speak. God is building his kingdom. He's keeping back the floods. The tarp is up, right? And something beautiful is being built beneath that tarp. And that's this church. That's the people of God. Lean into that. Taste the beauty that is to come and rejoice in the fact that this is not your home. But you have a city that's builder is God himself. Hallelujah. Great. There we go. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we rejoice that your sure word that causes the sun to rise and set, that causes fall to come every year this time of year, has spoken good news to our souls. And if we have put our faith in Jesus Christ, it has spoken righteousness over us. Would you help us to know what time it is and to rest secure in your word, to look forward in hope, and to live in the way of Jesus now, bearing with one another in love, loving our enemies even, securing the hope that is set before us. We ask this all in Christ's name. Amen.